So we're gathered here tonight to hear and tell a story. And we love stories as human beings. In fact, it may not be all that inaccurate to say that we live for stories. We live to make stories and to hear stories, to watch stories, to tell stories. It's even fair to ask, I, I think, honestly, is um, if our quest for adventure in the world is often not more about the stories that we'll get to tell after the fact than it is of the adventure in the midst of it. And obviously we love stories for one reason, because they're entertaining. Stories have a way of captivating us and grabbing us and pulling us in. But good stories, lasting stories, whether they're true or fictional stories, they work in our lives at a level that's deeper than entertainment. They carry meaning and they inspire and they help us to make sense of our world and of our lives in the midst of the world. Now, thanks to Carrie Underwood and NBC, there's been a lot of talk recently about the sound of music all over again. And this story, uh, and particularly, particularly its music, have become a favorite in the Booker household for some time. Uh, if I was another regular preacher here, I might sing a line for you, but I won't. Uh, I'll refrain from doing that. And this is a favorite for many, this story, the sound of music. Why, I wonder, why is that the case? So Julie Andrews, who starred as Maria in in the 1965 film, said this in 1973 about the story's magnetism. Love and music and happiness and family. That's what it's all about. I believe in these things. It would be awful not to, wouldn't it? The story affirms the things that we believe in, that we long for, our lives and our hopes Our dreams, our struggles, these things are engaged in good stories, in lasting stories. They must address us at the the point of the cries of our heart. In Steinbeck's novel, East of Eden, at one point, the Chinese servant Li makes this point. He says, quote, if a story is not about the hearer, he will not listen. And I make a rule, a great and lasting story is about everyone, or it will not last has to be about the here. It has to grab us. It has to meet us in the midst of our lives. And the story that we're telling tonight about the coming of Jesus into the world confirms this rule, albeit in a surprising way. It is about everyone, but it's about everyone by helping us to see our own stories, not in the heroism of the protagonist, which is typically the case in great stories, where we identify with the protagonist or the hero, Maria von Trapp or William Wallace or Katniss Everdeen more recently, through whom we see our own lives and our hopes and our dreams and our fears lived out before us, usually on the screen. It's our will to survive, our love, our courage that are evoked through the hero with whom we identify. That's why little boys like my son wear Superman and Batman PJs, because they're identifying with the hero. But in this story that we're telling tonight, we're strangely sidelined. We're not in the center. We're not taking the initiative. We aren't the hero. In fact, at worst in the story that we're telling tonight, we're the villain. And at best, we're the damsel in distress that needs rescue. The hero in the story is God. And in particular, Jesus, God's son, who comes into the world. And I want to show you, I hope, that this is the best story of all. Now, before I go on, let me make a simple point and say that when I say story, I don't mean, in this case in particular, fiction. 
Of course, stories can be fictional or true. But this story that we're telling is not like Cinderella or the Little Red Hen or even the Brothers Karamazov, great as all of those stories are. This story is more like Gettysburg or Bunker Hill or Watergate. It's a story that recounts something that actually happened in the midst of history, something that changes the world. We've just read three passages in a row from Luke's gospel, and it's worth hearing how Luke begins the gospel, where he says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those from the beginning where eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some past, some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. We're not dealing tonight with wishful thinking, but with real happening. So that the, the Gospel of Luke can say a lot, but I want to focus in on one thing, one way into this great story, the greatest of all stories, which is in Luke chapter, 10, chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, the words of the angel to the shepherds. And here's what the angel says. Caroline read it earlier. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So three things that we're going to steal from these words from the angel. Fear not, great joy, and unto you. Fear not, the angel says. We're all afraid. We're all afraid of something. Some of us are afraid of failure. Some of us are afraid of being rejected. Some of us are afraid of death. Some of, some of us are afraid of, of bad health. We're afraid of something. The angel or the, the shepherds were here at night just doing their own thing, minding their own business, watching their flock in the night. And all of a sudden, it says in verse 9, that an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord, the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. They were afraid. And the angel speaks into their fear and says, fear not, fear not. This God of whom, if he were to show up in our lives and his awesomeness and otherness and power might make us afraid. In fact, that's the natural response for us when we're encountering something that's otherworldly. But the angel says, fear not. The psalmist in Psalm 56 says this, and the reason not to fear, he says, the Lord is with me. The Lord is on my side. In him I will trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Paul says it like this in Romans 8. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? The first part of this story is don't be afraid. And because we are not afraid of God anymore, because God is on our side, which is ultimately what the story that we're sharing tonight teaches us, then we don't have to be afraid of all of the other things in our world of which we might be afraid. The Lord is on my side. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Those fears of failure, those fears, fears of rejection those fears of not measuring up to our own expectations or other people's expectations, uh, expectations of us, those fears are squelched, squelched in this moment 
when the angel says, fear not. Second, great joy. Great joy. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all people. Joy connects to our longings. I remember a warm August night many, many years ago when I spoke to this girl named Mandy Yarborough at the time about this desire that I felt for her that was beyond just the friendship that we had enjoyed up to that point. And when the response was not simply flat-out rejection or no, but here, here's a book, and are you sure you know what you're talking about? Um, which obviously I didn't because I was only 20 years old at the time. I was elated. My longings had been met, or at least not turned away. And I was overwhelmed with joy. And as I drove home a day or two later, I actually read the book at the wheel the whole way back, I-55 from Jackson to Memphis. And I felt like I was on cloud nine because joy is connected to our longings. The deepest longings that we have. We long to be alive. We long to have purpose. We long to have life. We long to be loved. We long to be set free from the guilt and the shame which so many of us walk around under the weight of in our lives. We long for these things. And when the angel says, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, the angel is speaking to this issue of longing inside of every human heart that says, what I'm about to share with you, what is going on in the world right now, is actually something that meets you at this point of your deepest longings as a human being. And the angel says, this isn't just for you, shepherds. Remember Lee's rule from East of Eden. A great story has to be about everyone. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This offer, this action of God in the world in bringing forth his son is something that brings joy, at least the possibility of joy, to all people, not just to the Jews of that day or to the shepherds of that day or to the people who get it right, the people who are on top, the people who make it in the world where we feel like we're just refuse and left behind. This would be a great joy for all people. Available to all. Able to to speak to that place of our deepest longings. Fear not. Great joy. And finally, unto you. Unto you. What scatters our fears away? What enables us to not be gripped anymore by the fears that stalk us and that often bind us? What meets this deepest longing of our heart? What enables this great joy to flow up from within us? Is given to us in these words, unto you. Unto you, the angel says, is born this day In the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It's not that you have to work harder and harder and harder. It's not that you have to be somebody that the world says 
is important. Thanks be to God. But it's this unto you has been born this day a Savior, Christ the Lord. This is gift. This is gift. A Savior, a Lord, a new King who took the initiative to defeat our real enemies of evil and sin and death to which we had been enslaved ever since the disobedience of Adam and Eve long ago that we read about tonight. The end of fear and the fountainhead of joy for us as the people of this world is this gift of a newborn king. This story that we are telling in song and in word tonight. In his three-volume biography of Winston Churchill, William Manchester begins his pages by recounting the perilous moment in which the English found themselves on the beaches of Dunkirk in May of 1940. And this is what he says. The French had collapsed. The Dutch had been overwhelmed. The Belgians had surrendered. The British army trapped, fought free, and fell back toward the channel ports, converging on a fishing town whose name was Dunkirk. It was England's greatest crisis. If the Germans crossed the channel and established uncontested beachheads, all would be lost. And then he recounts the miraculous rescue of the British troops and many of the French as well across the channel. And then he continues with these words. Now in this new exigency, confronted by the mightiest conqueror Europe had ever known, England looked for another Alfred, a figure cast in a mold which by the time of the Dunkirk deliverance seemed to have been forever lost. England's new leader, were he to prevail, would have to stand for everything England's decent, civilized establishment had rejected. He would have to be a passionate Manichaean who saw the world as a medieval struggle to the death between the powers of good and the powers of evil, who held that individuals are responsible for their actions and that the the German dictator was therefore wicked. Like Adolf Hitler, he would have to be a leader of intuitive genius, A born demagogue in the original sense of the word. A believer in the supremacy of his race and his national destiny. An artist who knew how to gather the blazing light of history into his prism and then distort it to his ends. An embodiment of inflexible resolution who who could impose his will and his imagination on his people. Such a man, if he existed, would be England's last chance. In London, there was such a man. And so he introduces the main person of this biography, Winston Churchill. And all I want to say is in Churchill, there may have been a man to lead England through its darkest hour. But in all the earth, there was no man, no man able to deliver humanity from our dark hour of captivity to evil and sin and death. So God entered in unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. As we'll read in a moment, God himself became flesh in the person of his son Jesus and did what no mere mortal could do. He defeated our enemies on the cross to rescue us, to rescue you, to rescue all those who would with open arms and with trust 
Simply receive the gift. And humble themselves before this one who was the true Lord and is the true Lord of all. This is it. This is the great story that we have to tell. And it's about me and it's about you even while it's about mostly about Jesus. Fear not, the end of fear. Great joy, open to all and unto you by this gift of a savior, this gift of a king, a gift for you and for me from the God who made you and the God who made me. This gift evokes great joy. This gift scatters our fear. Let's stand to sing.